is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rocket Nation Podcast. This is your new home for the Memphis Grizzlies. Welcome to our new podcast network, celebrating all things Memphis. I'm wearing my Memphis Grizzly uh, hoodie. My name is Sam Snelling. I am your host of this new Grizzlies podcast. With me is my co-host, Matthew J. Harris. We are longtime Memphis Grizzly fans. Uh, since the move from Vancouver, uh, which always kind of felt like a weird place to put a basketball team uh but ever since then right matt longtime grizzly fans zebo tony allen's <laughs> fans marcus all passing out of the mid post just we, we love it all we love it all I'm we're th- sad that chandler parsons cannot play effectively we wanted to see andre ugudala show up and play grit and grind we are we're here for the bluff city bluff city over everything so, can you name uh, the first official uh, Vancouver Grizzlies uh, top overall draft pick? Who was it? Sharif Abdul Rahim or Bryant Reeves? Ha <laughs> ha! So uh, you got two of the three. Uh, it was Big Country Reeves in 1995. Um, well, actually, yeah. So Sharif was uh, Sharif was first overall ninety six. That's right. Because um, 
sorry, they, they had two first-round picks in 96. The other was uh, Roy Rogers from Alabama. Uh, so I remember uh, that 1995 NBA draft. Um, I was a mere, uh, let's see, would have been going into my senior year of high school. Uh, mainly because uh, that was, I was a big, uh, at the time, and really most of my childhood was always liked watching the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, big Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace fan. Um, Joe Smith was the topper overall pick. Bryant Rees, big country, uh, to the Grizzlies out of Oklahoma State at the uh, sixth pick overall. Just pulled this up. So quite the, uh, quite the draft class. I, I, I remember that because I got to go to my friend's house to watch the draft because we did not have cable. So that was that was nice of my parents to let me go <laughs> uh, and uh, enjoy that. Uh, at my friend's house, there was popcorn. There was Mountain Dew. And uh, us then trying to figure out, hey, if we went to Columbia Mall, do you think we could find those draft hats there? And that was probably <laughs> too much to expect. So yeah, that's what I remember. Uh, also, the in hindsight... Man, Bryant Big Country Reeves is a top 10 pick. That, man, when college production used to really matter to NBA scouts. Yeah. He uh, he did not have a great uh, NBA career. Unlike Craig Ostertag, who managed to catch on and uh, get to the NBA Finals with the Jazz. Big Country played in the NBA for uh, six seasons. He uh, he topped out in the ninety seven ninety eight season at sixteen point three points per game, which is yeah, not that, not that's bad. Solid. That's not bad. No, but then uh, trailed off after that. Uh, that was sort of the high, and then next season uh, only ten point eight points. Uh, next two seasons a little over eight. So after that, he was out of the league. Um, that is the nineteen ninety five NBA draft. So yeah, so. Uh, as you were saying, you got the uh, 1996 pick, which I remember Sharif Durahim from California played also with uh, Jason Kidd. Um, that was... Uh, I guess we should probably wrap up our Grizzlies uh, history draft talk, but I'm just sort of fa- always fascinated by the history of NBA drafts, mainly because... Um, it's always interesting, particularly now when you kind of go back and look at something, uh, you know, so this is 25 years ago almost uh, for the 96 class. Um, and uh, so 96, Sharif Abdurrahim was taken third overall. Uh, top overall pick was Allen Iverson. Um Lowest drafted guy to make at least one All-Star game was the 20th overall pick, Zadrunas Ilgauskas. Big Z. Played with uh, LeBron James. So how many uh, how, how many Hall of Fame level players do you think are in that draft class? This is actually a pretty good class. So. The 1996 draft? 96, yes. So the top overall pick would have been Iverson. Yeah, that's a, that's a Hall of Famer. Um, I'm going to say there's probably 
three other Hall of Famers. Are we going to do a, uh, a Gary Parish, Matt Norlander trivia time? Uh, was, Ray, I don't was, Ray it, Allen, was Ray Allen 95 or 96? So Ray Allen was uh, 96. Okay, put him in. Put him okay. in. Um, and Kobe was 13, so put him in. So that, uh, I th- I, Nash, I think Nash they're... 95, was, was Nash 96 or 97? <laughs> Very good, Steve Nash. You're the resident uh, uh, Gary Parrish here with the uh, the memory. Um, yeah, that's a really good draft class. So what year did they move to Memphis? I think they moved to Memphis in probably like turn, turn of the millennium, probably around 2000, 2001. Um, I'm trying to find the original team that was there uh, or the original roster, I should say, the team. Uh, so I'm trying to see what they would have done here. Memphis Grizzlies, 2001 roster. So yeah, uh, relocates Memphis. Um they applied in 2001. It was granted July 3rd. Uh, they had Shane Battier was a rookie that year. Um, Paul Gasol, rookie. Um, Stro Miles Swift was uh, going into his second year. Oh, man. White Chocolate, Jason Williams was on that <laughs> roster. Uh that wasn't not, a bad little bad little roster that they had there. I mean, if you were like just said they had Gasol, uh, Williams, and uh, Battier. I mean, though, Battier was a became a rolled guy, but that's still not a not a bad roster there. Um, they went. They finished twenty three and fifty nine, seventh in the Midwest Division. But uh, yeah, that was those are the highlights of the original roster. Unless you want to consider Michael Dickerson, uh. A key cog. Yeah. Um, okay. Tony Massenberg. Uh, <laughs> you could tell, too, they were like trying to get some local uh, flair here because they had Lorenzen Wright and uh, Elliot Perry, two Memphis guy, two Memphis alums on the on the roster. They were like, we need we need to get the uh, the locals out. So I think. I think people probably thought we were kidding when we were going to tr- said we were going to turn this into a uh, a Grizzlies podcast. Um, but for those who weren't uh, on Twitter the other night, um, it was announced that John C. Porter, a uh, former Missouri forward, uh, had signed a a two year deal with the Memphis Grizzlies. And and Matt and I, uh, I I've long had a uh, a, a jaw stand. Uh, tag on my on my bio on Twitter. Uh, I'm a big fan of John Morant, and uh, I've sort of latched onto the Grizzlies as my team. I think they're a really young, exciting team. And so, sort of, you know, half joking, I said we're gonna just start covering the Grizzlies since I don't know they're kind of fun. Got Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Brandon Clark. Uh, that's a nice little young core. And now they're adding Jonte Porter, Missouri grad. There's our tie-in. Uh, pretty excited for Jonte. I think if he's able to be healthy, uh, he's the kind of big guy that could really, really work for that roster. A guy who can space the floor, pass the ball well. Um, I can imagine lots of John Morant drives to the rim and kickouts uh, to 
it, you know, Jante, if the uh, other team's center is, is drawn into the basket to defend against the Morant drive. And I, I just think that's a, a good pickup for Memphis for what they're trying to do. And, and there's relatively no pressure on him again, which I think is beneficial. We, we, we saw what happened when Michael Porter came into a roster that had um the ability to give him some rehab time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just some time to acclimate. You know, the the Grizzlies have a Jonas Valanciunas on the roster. They've got Jaron Jackson on the roster. They've got Brandon Clark. Um, you know, they even have Gorgie Dang, uh, who they've picked up, you know, after the Timberwolves kind of let him go. They even have Justice Winslow, who you could consider kind of a, you know, who is 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but can play down at the four in some sets. So they've got, some guys that I think can give uh, Jonte some time to kind of get acclimated and figure things out. The other thing is the Grizzlies have um, their G League team, their own G League affiliate, the Hustle, that are like they play in like North Mississippi or in a like an arena casino nearby there. But the bigger deal is that they've got a guy who they've got a setup to where he can go, you know, learn their system, go through rehab, get acclimated and still be moved back and forth and shuttled pretty easily on 10 days and, you know, kind of go up and down if they need to do that with him. But he's got a guaranteed contract as well. So that's a – it's a good setup for him. Uh, I think, you know, his skill set will be interesting. I think he's a guy who you could eventually see, you know, take some of Jonas Valanciunas' minutes off from him. And he's also a guy that I think they'll um, use. He's not quite uh, as athletic as Jaron Jackson, but he kind of gives you the same – skill set the ability to kind of you know pick and pop space to the wing i think he's probably a little bit more advanced pass of a passer the one thing that's going to be interesting to see as always is how does he adjust to playing in space and like pick and roll coverages and stuff like that but overall it's a really really good situation for him michael kind of had the same thing where he was coming into a roster where he didn't have to be um the primary cog for that team and you know, fans didn't have to invest all their hopes in him right away, but he was still a lottery level, top five level talent when healthy. You know, Jonte Porter is a top 20 draft pick if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. And now you get to add him to, you know, arguably three other top 15 level picks, and he doesn't have to face the immediate pressure because Jaws already sort of become the face of that franchise. So it's just, it's just nice to see him after kind of the, the struggles and the tumult he's been through land in a really, really good situation and an organization that right now is really committed to developing a young core. So that's the other nice aspect there is there's not a ton of pressure, at least at the moment for him to like come in and be a contributor for a team that's looking to make a playoff push or, you know, have any greater aspirations other than to put together a good core. That's got some chemistry and some kismet. So just a, just a really great setup and happy for him that, that he's in that situation. Yeah, and I actually um, I like the fact that they kind of took a little bit of a flyer on Josh Jackson too. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, he's played well since getting there. Yeah, he had a little bit of a uh, a bumpy road in Phoenix, and uh, I think he arrived in Memphis, and I think they immediately like after a, a, another sort of a blip for him, uh, sent him down to the G League, and just said, "You need to go figure your shit out." and uh, and he did, um, at least supposedly. But he's back with the big club, and uh, yeah, I think he's he's played pretty well. Uh, and I just like I 
think when you look at the young core of talent, uh, that's a that's a team that could be really good. And they're already fighting for a, a playoff spot with a lot of young guys. So I, I just think that the ceiling is really big. And you add in a talent like Jante, it just makes a lot of sense. They have twelve guys that are in, that have been that are in their third year or less on the roster. Like they they are Anthony Tolliver, who is like a a proven like really good veteran locker room presence is an 11 year vet and he's on the roster. Valanciunas is in his seventh year. Anthony Tolliver, and, Springfield, Missouri. Uh, yeah. Creighton alum. Yeah. Uh, kick, kick a poo alum. Uh, don't kick poo. We like poo. Uh, so I think they've got a, a nice young mix there and, you know, they've even taken a risk on like a guy like a John Conchar out of IPFW was a really good player in the summit um was going to be a second round pick and didn't get picked but took a two-way there and it's sort of like i think played pretty well uh they've got yuta watanabe on the roster who's kind of a two-way guy who's looked good at times so I, I just think that it's a really really good organization that's committed to developing young guys and they're going to use their g league team in a really smart way and that they're going to show patience uh, at least that's kind of the signal they've given so that's that's all you can hope for is that you get to a place that's committed to kind of a system and a structure and, you know, wanting to develop guys and understands, you know, what the objective is right now. So it's, it's, and Memphis is a great city too. Um, I, 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 I love Memphis. I think it's there when that team is good, that building is uh, loud and those folks are, are passionate. They're not, a, it's not a huge city, but they are passionate when the Grizz are good. Yeah. And there is a, a one more Missouri tie-in, not the University of Missouri, but the state of Missouri. So we have, we've got uh, Tolliver and, uh, and Jante. But the assistant coaches, um, one of the assistant coaches is Niall Ivey. So for any, any 90s St. Louis area high school basketball fans will know the name Niall Ivey because she was a stud at Coriezu. Uh, I th- want to say she was 96 or 97 went to Notre Dame and I think won a title there. Um, let me click on her bio so I get it right. Cause you know, my, as we get older, my memories kind of starts to fade. Uh, so yeah, she was a uh, class of 96, went to Notre Dame and uh, she was Notre Dame. That doesn't say if they won a championship. Um, but they da, won da, da, da. in oh one is when Muffet got her first one. Was it no? Yeah, so that was Niall's senior year. Um, so she got hurt her freshman year, redshirted, uh, and so played a, as a senior. So it was two thousand two thousand one um, that she was a a redshirt senior on that team. Yeah, and there was a nice feature I think that ESPN did last week on kind of the women who are on NBA staffs, there's about 10 assistants now or 10 like player development folks, like in various different women in player development roles. So uh, Becky Hammond is not the only one. Uh, there are uh, some other ones like Lindsay Gottlieb left being head coach at Cal to go uh, work on uh, John Beeline staff, which maybe might not seem like a great decision now, but, <laughs> but left behind like a, a college job that she turned into a pretty good gig and uh, to go, uh, coaching the nba so it's uh there's been a, a nice influx of uh really really talented women into the league and it's nice seeing the Ivy's one of them well yeah so uh i i believe that is uh 
a wrap up on this podcast. We're going to get that on out of here. Memphis Grizzly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to we're going to intro right back into the Missouri segment of this podcast. Um, we've had all the tie-ins we can, but yeah, we are here to actually talk about Missouri Tigers. Um, but who doesn't love a good like ten to fifteen minutes of of just pure Grizz podcasting? <laughs> the week of the SEC tournament. Prop <laughs> <laughs> is right at the appropriate time because that's exactly this is why people give us one star reviews on itunes because we open up with 18 well actually i thought that was because we were too monotone which i still blame you for i am full of verver in life Uh, hey you 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 bring up brian big country reeves it it brings out the emotion man (laughs) oh the good old eddie sutton days of oklahoma state basketball um so Missouri's coming off a win, Matt. They they won their last basketball game, uh, coupled with uh, some other shenanigans around the SEC. Uh, the Tigers, despite uh, a loss to Ole Miss on Wednesday, last Wednesday, um, they got out of the Wednesday night playing games in the SEC tournament. They do not play until Thursday. What? What a relief is is that? I mean, it's after... a normal time too. It's Thursday. It's six p.m. Central. Hey, yeah, it's like that's the prime time slot. You get a a a re rematch against the Texas A and M Aggies. Missouri has yet to beat Texas A and M, despite uh, being way higher in the Kim Pomeroy rankings. Um, I always feel like there's one outlier in Ken Palm every year when it comes to uh, the SEC rankings. And this year it's Texas A&M who have climbed all the way up to 131 in Ken Palm uh, after being as low as, I'm kind of going through this, uh, 174. So they were 174 actually going into their home game against Missouri and, and, Getting thrashed by Texas A&M in College Station to help the uh, the Aggies to get a, a little bit of a bump, um, but no, they've they've actually been playing pretty well. Uh, they won their last two games, um, ten and eight in the league. I mean, it's kind of impressive. They just grind people into dust, man. They, you know, the what are they like dead last in tempo during SEC play? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they they just force you to make mistakes. Like they are tops in the league in turnover percentage, but and they do that without fouling. You know, they you know the non steal turnover rate is number one. So they're just they're getting into people. They're playing good team defense. They're forcing you know their you know teams are making mistakes against them. It's just been you know the offense is not much to look at. You know, but. They just—they're so tough. They're giving themselves opportunities, you know, to stay in tight games and, and prevailing here. You know, they've got a good, and they've capitalized on stretches where they've needed to. You know, they well, they and they've uh, got guys who are capable of making shots. I think Wendell Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen even like the last couple of years, he's capable of uh, of kind of getting hot and and making some big shots for them. You and I uh, both are big fans of Savion Flag. And, and what he brings. I've always loved Josh Nebo. I thought he was sort of undervalued under Billy Kennedy uh, last year. And uh, 
he's put together a really nice year. Uh, he rebounds the ball like crazy. He's a big, strong body. And I think going up against Texas A&M, not having Jeremiah Tillman available um, is one of those things that really hurt Missouri against Texas A&M. Because uh, they, you know, we and we love love Big Reed, but uh, Nebo is just a really, really great athlete. I think I think Nico sort of struggled to to defend him. Well, the thing I was going to say was that they've, you know, we've talked about how much the schedule matters. You know, they beat Ole Miss at home, they beat Missouri, a wounded Missouri at home, they beat Georgia at home, they beat Mississippi State at Texas A and you know in College Station, they beat Arkansas at home. So they got half their wins against teams that, you know, were a little bit vulnerable or that, you know, were matchups that were favorable to them. And then they also kind of went on the road to Tennessee. And that's a team where, like, you can neutralize Fulkerson. And, you know, it's really just Jordan Bowden at that point and got a win there. That was a, a scrappy win. They, you know, got a tough win in did, Columbia. Did Jordan James play that game? I know oh. he was out recently. That was back in late December, so I'm pulling that up now. Uh, yeah, he played in that game, but he only had a 73-0 rating. Uh, Bowden really struggled. They that was a game where Tennessee couldn't make a jumper. You know, neither team could. Uh, and A and M just pounded the ball inside, and you know Mitchell and uh, Flag and all those guys were just driving the ball to the rim and getting guys in foul trouble and getting to the line. So mm-hmm. it was. So what I'm saying is they've they've taken advantage of what the schedule's offered up to them. Uh, you know they got they had a nice home win, a nice road win at Auburn last week, which you know in the year where everybody's bad and everyone's kind of susceptible to a bad loss. But you know I think they've they've managed to you know take advantage of the opportunities that are there for them. Like you said, Nebo's a guy who I think um, you know I had close to I think I think should like merit like honorable mention all sec honors i just think he's his game isn't fancy but he's really good around the rim he draws a ton of fouls he gives good rim protection gets on the glass for them you know he's he's probably been one of the steadier bigs in the league this year um mitchell and you know flagging kind of alternate you know who's kind of powering the game on the perimeter um and emmanuel miller's had some moments as a freshman but it's it'll be really interesting to see kind of how this happens now that they've got a fully healthy Tillman back, and presumably if Mark Smith is, you know, starting to knock the rust off, you know, Texas A and M may not be able to entirely pack the paint, but it, it, that's one of those matchups where you hope that like getting Tillman back can at least neutralize Nebo, and you know you can put Drew Smith on Wendell Mitchell and just sort of, you know, get enough offense from you know guys like x and drew and maybe tillman can you know find a little bit of a groove and you can get out of that get out of thursday night with a win mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean i was gonna say like it is another thing and i know this is one of those things that's sort of stated uh often um without a whole lot of context but i do think it is difficult to beat a team three times in a year um especially when the teams are kind of close. Uh, and I, I mean, I think you could even give a slight edge to Missouri. I mean, in the season of data that we have to judge these teams on uh, has p- 
played out and Missouri is a higher Kempom rating. Um, so they tend to be more efficient than Texas A&M. Texas A&M has been playing better lately. You can't take away uh, their 10 and eight record, but like you said, like they've gotten some breaks. Um, but I think if of all the matchups in that kind of first round, this is the probably the one I would like to see Missouri have the most. Um, because I do think that you can you can get by Texas A&M. Now the second round uh, is where I <laughs> I realize there are people that are we'll just say positive about Missouri and their ability. And I'm not saying that Missouri couldn't beat Auburn again. I would just say that it is unlikely that they would beat Auburn again. Um, and I think that's also becomes a, a this for all the same reasons that we had issues with this matchup, you know, back when they played the first time, uh, all those issues are still there and now Auburn's healthy and they're probably a little upset that they, you know, lost at Missouri. Uh, and those guys are, are kind of playing for something. And, um, so I would be surprised if Missouri makes it past Texas A&M that they would actually be able to win two in a row. Uh, I, I hope they can, but. Um, I just don't know that I've seen enough consistency out of the Tigers uh, to think that they could they could pull off, you know, winning two games in a row like that. Do you think Auburn goes one of 17 from three-point range again? Probably not. Do you think Missouri goes seven of 13 from three-point range? Probably not. I mean, that... That was kind of the difference. That was, you know, Auburn shot better from two-point range. They got to the line 46 times in Columbia and outshot Missouri by 17 attempts at the line. And Missouri, you know, offset that by knocking in more three-pointers than Auburn. So the question really is, do you think that Auburn's going to have another – do you think that there's going to be another variance-type day or do you think these teams are kind of going to regress to where they have been all season? And if that's the case, then this is a bad matchup for Missouri. And also, like you can you can say that well, Missouri didn't have Jeremiah Tillman in that game. That's true. Uh, Isaac Okoro though wasn't in it for Auburn, so you're replacing two key cogs are coming back. So the, to me, that still raises the question of if both teams are playing at their baseline, what do you think the outcome is here? And I tend to trust the sample size of data in front of us or the substantial sample size in front of us and think, you know, Missouri's going to need a break, whether it's, you know, somebody getting in foul trouble or whether it's Auburn, again, just not able to knock in jumpers, which Auburn's not, you know, a team that's, I don't want to paint Auburn to be a team that's a dead eye shooting team. (laughs) They're not. (laughs) They're not, but they're still a team that I think, you know, when you looked back at that game was still able to, get to the rim was still able to put pressure on Missouri's defense and, you know, still able to do a lot of what they normally do. They just couldn't knock in jumpers. So even if Auburn, I think I, the day we talked about that, if Auburn had shot its season percentage, they would have hit, you know, four or five more threes. They would have hit four more threes. And that game's probably a one possession game at the end of it. So, and if Missouri shoots its season percentage, it's probably a loss. So, that's really where they are right now is to think about will teams kind of revert to the mean jump shooting wise. And I think they will. So 
and you know neutral floor you know can do you know at least historically we've seen the margins tend to f tighten a little bit on those in those type of avenues and those type of venues i'm sorry so i don't know maybe it happens again maybe missouri surprises us once a, for a second time but i i just tend to think that it's going to be really hard to replicate the shooting performances that gave missouri a little bit of an edge you know a couple weeks you know in mid-february yeah um I do think that there there are reasons to kind of think that a variance could happen, mainly because we've kind of seen it all season long. Like I think this has been a year where there's been kind of more weird variances because the the know, baseline level, talent's not yeah, as good. Yeah, the, the level of play isn't as good. So um, yeah, the, like teams aren't as good. And when that happens, you are you're gonna see more weirdness, and uh, and we have like we really have. And I at this stage of the game though, like the one thing you can trust Missouri to do is to have a hard time scoring the basketball. Uh, if something changes and the you know the, they go to Nashville and just play great offense, fantastic! Like I am all about it. Um, but I don't think that can be an expectation. The expectation I think is that with Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith, they become a much better defensive team. Um, and hopefully they're able to kind of carry over some of the offensive success that they've had in certain areas. Um, but you know, I think one of the things that we've sort of talked about is it seems like they're always able to score the ball uh, with lesser defensive lineups and they have trouble scoring the ball with their better defensive lineups. Uh, and they, they just have a hard time finding that balance. Um, it's kind of like when you look at a, a guy like, I think Torrance Watson is sort of a microcosm of the entire roster. And the fact that he's a guy you thought was going to be pretty good on offense has turned death out to be way better on defense. And he's so bad on offense that, uh, you almost can't play him. Um, but when he's out on the floor, he does a great job of limiting the other team uh, and their ability to score. So um, it's just one of these situations where I like I think you can have a reasonable expectation for Missouri to beat Texas A&M. I really do. Um, I think Texas A&M is a very flawed basketball team who's gotten some breaks. They're playing very confidently now. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me for, for them to kind of come out and beat Missouri by 12 or 15 points. Like, I, I just think confidence is is a is a hell of a drug sometimes. And, um, you know, but at the same time, if, if you're just looking at, you know, the raw talent of, of each roster, uh, I think Missouri's is maybe slightly better. Uh, so at, at, from that stage, I think Mizzou should be able to win the game. Uh, but the next next day is you're playing in a tough physical defensive battle against an A&M team. If you're able to win that game, you have to turn around the next night and you have to play Auburn. And track meet, probably. Yeah, and if they Auburn... want to get up and down. And... So, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tough, tough game, tough matchup uh, for Missouri, and I do and think might... that... I do then think that there's LSU. Uh, you're going to, and then on the other side of the bracket you have, Oh yeah. I'm, I'm just saying like, even if let's say you get through Auburn, 
Arkansas wants to play fast. South Carolina wants to play fast. LSU's got some athletes that are going to want to get in transition. It's the question is Missouri's good at, and we've talked about it before. They're good at at scouting and kind of getting the tempo to where they want, but offensively they're not as consistent as you as you'd want to see. That's obvious by now. And also you're playing teams that in South Carolina, Auburn, and to a degree in LSU can can force some turnovers, can get the game out in the open floor. And as we know, if you bleed possessions out of Missouri, they're it's going to put even more pressure on them to go to the glass and control tempo and generate second possessions. It's it's just hard. The side of the draw there is not really conducive. In a weird way, you'd almost kind of want teams like Florida or Tennessee or Mississippi State on your side of the bracket just because those are teams that are going to want to play at your pace. Now, we saw what happened against Mississippi State, you know, for example. Like, that's a team that's fine playing that style. Florida's got Kerry Blackshear and some size. But to me, the bigger deal is, like, if in a tournament like this where you're going to have quick turnarounds and you're going to have to get into your legs a little bit, you know, beating yourself up against A&M and then having to get into a track meet against Auburn is tough enough. And then you've got to maybe try and find a team like LSU that can – is weak defensively, but man, they, when that offense is going, it's a buzzsaw. So it's just, it's a tough draw on that side of the bracket. Uh, you know, given the inconsistency of the league, I'd almost kind of want to have the opposite side of the bracket, just in terms of tempo and, and playing style. Yeah. And, uh, I guess that's sort of the, the, the rub of the, initial first round matchup which i i do think is conducive to missouri getting a win uh to uh kind of playing everybody the next round and i i still kind of think that it, you know I'd, I'd like to see missouri at full strength you know play arkansas who i think i think you're able to kind of exploit some of the matchup issues that yeah that, like arkansas just so so very clearly has and i mean certainly the game that mizzou played um at Bud Walton, I think everything that sort of happened for Arkansas sort of favored um, them in the second half when they were able to sort of make a few shots when, you know, really, uh, I thought Missouri was able to kind of control that game early and then they sort of just got away from what they wanted to do. Um, So, yeah, so that's kind of our SEC tournament preview. We, who do you think is going to win the tournament? Because I have absolutely n- no confidence in any pick at this point. It, well, yeah, and I, I think like outside of got, Vanderbilt and like Georgia, <laughs> like the Arkansas, so I think the three yeah, teams, yeah, three of the I four think, teams on Thursday on Wednesday, I don't have much faith in, but Arkansas in that part of the bracket could could do some damage. I could see them maybe winning like three games, but I don't see them winning four. Um, I, I they just don't play deep enough. Uh, and they're gonna feel it by they'd feel it by Sunday. Yeah, like that's just a really really tough thing to ask. Uh, I I think what you're probably gonna do is if you're playing on so who, who, the top four seeds are Kentucky, Mississippi State, uh, LSU, and Auburn. Uh, yeah. 
God, man, this league. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I trust anybody. If there were ever a year where you could see somebody kind of coming in and, and winning, maybe it's Missouri. Who knows? Um, just sort of like out of left field that you did not expect. You know, I, I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me to see Florida win. I mean, I still don't know that I trust them, and they haven't proven necessarily that they uh, that they can consistently win against good teams. You know, but the talent's all there. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe Noah Locke is a, a dead-eye three-point shooter if he can kind of get loose. Um, I did, like there, there are just so many flawed teams, and honestly, like it wouldn't surprise me to see like South Carolina win. Like you know, South Carolina plays at a good tempo. They they have a fairly deep roster. They have some talent. Uh, you know, if they kind of get hot playing. It would be wild for me to to see a team like South Carolina uh, lose on the road at Vanderbilt, sort of spoiling any last chance they had of an uh, an at large bid, and then going and win the conference tournament. <laughs> like, just it would make the most sense. It's like I look at Bama, Tennessee, and Bama. If if three pointers are dropping for them, they could be a problem for Kentucky. And because those guys aren't going to have a problem playing in transition, Kentucky wants to get out and run a little bit, not necessarily like at a track meet, but Kentucky's good in transition. Bama's going to be fine if that game gets into a little bit of a up and down situation. And if they're, you know, banging in threes, maybe they topple them. You know, Mississippi State, you know, is kind of vulnerable, I think. You know, they've got a good kind of core of five guys, but, you know, can you know, how deep can they sort of, you know, run it top half of the bracket could easily like go chalk, but you could either, you could have some variance in Florida finding its legs and maybe Alabama going a little bit bonkers and something happens there. But the bottom half of the bracket, I think is where things could get really wild really quickly. Um, Just because Arkansas, South Carolina, LSU and Auburn on their best days are really, really good. But, Man, there are some nights where you watch them and you're just like, eek, eek, where the door opens up a little bit. So the t- the bottom half of the bracket could be fun. Yeah. Uh, you're working on a all-conference piece? Yeah, piddling away at it. Um, it. Unlike last year, there's not like a ton of debates as to, I think, who the award winner should be this year. Um you know, I think it, it's not a spoiler to say that Emmanuel quickly probably walked, you know, waltzed away with player of the year. Um, freshman of the year is kind of an obvious one, I think, in Isaac Okoro. Uh, defensive player of the year is always interesting for me because I think it's one of those deals where it's, you know, we have stat categories, block, steals, and, you know, I think a lot of times we default to those, but sometimes there are uh, guys who grade out well you know, in analytics and in terms of like synergy or hoop lens. And I think um, to bring up quickly again, quickly is a really, really good defender, but he's not a primary on ball defender, but he's a guy who's really good. You know, when he's been asked to track guys off the ball, he's, he doesn't miss many rotations. You know, he's a guy who's constantly communicating, you know, with bigs getting through pick and roll coverage. And if you like, look at the top 25 guys in the sec in terms of possessions uh, used on defense, He's second 
in the SEC and uh, efficiency. So it's like, how do you, what do you value in a defensive player? You know, is it, you know, a guy who, you know, is, you know, blocking shots or, you know, creating transition opportunities or, you know, how much of a premium do you put on guys who are good team defenders and good in that sort of situation? So that's always an interesting one for me. Um, Coach of the year, uh, I think is also pretty interesting. Do you give it to Buzz Williams uh, for Texas A&M's overperformance or do you reward, you know, John Calipari, who I think, you know, people will laugh, you know, and say, oh, it's Cal. And, you know, he, you know, you know, he wins it every year with recruiting. It's, it's really hard to do what he does year in and year out, basically reshaping an entire roster and, re, you know, having to figure out that team's identity and try and, you know, de- you know, develop that sense of identity on the fly. Um, and I think they did a really, really good job this year. Um, you know, probably from about mid January on, you know, once, uh, I mean, you'll quickly got going and Nick Richards, you know, found his stride. I think they, they found a pretty good rhythm and that that's a credit to Cal for figuring out how to mix all that together and get the right alchemy to have some success. So that's kind of an early look at where my head's at on, at least on the major awards, but, uh, anything that stands out to you or any kind of comments that you have as we get ready to see uh, the postseason honors come out? Uh, no, like I, I, I think that your your points on defensive player of the year are are correct. I mean, it is really difficult. I mean, there are guys that I think are terrific defenders, um, terrific on ball defenders. I mean, I think Ashton Hagens is probably the best perimeter defender in the in the conference, but I don't know that I. would uh, necessarily like take him over Drew Smith for guarding your opponent's best player. I think uh, you know Nick Richards is is really good in and around the rim. He affects a lot of things with his ability to block shots. But is he all that much better than like Abdul Adu, who I think is a terrific uh, you know defender on the post? Um, you know, but it is one of those things. Like I think when you are considering defensive player of the year, like it's very rarely voted on who's the best overall defensive player. It's usually like who's the best defender that also is pretty good offensively. Um, And so from that standpoint, I think you probably give it to somebody like, like Richards. Um, But I I certainly wouldn't have an issue with anybody who voted for um, voted for Drew Smith or voted for Ashton Hagens or, or voted for uh, Abdullah Du, who in my opinion, those might be like my, uh, four guys. I also like uh, Keontae Johnson. I think he he's a good defender. Well, it's interesting. Is like if you look at the most used, like def- like the best high usage defender in the SEC is John Petty at six point a point six one four points per possession allowed. Like you, so the question is, but again, he's not a primary kind of on ball defender, right? So it becomes like a and a lot of times in those situations, it's is the guy good at tracking. Like you'll when you look at the stat categories, and this is probably wonky. Like a lot of times, you'll see those guys are a lot of their possessions are off-screen guarding situations or spot ups. So there, you can really kind of get a sense for at least loosely in the metrics at who's good at closing down and who's good at like recovering out off stunts, and who does a pretty good job tracking guy locking and trailing guys. And you can sometimes in that situation, you'll go back and you'll watch film and you'll be like, oh yeah. It's kind of they're good at doing this and things of that nature, but like a kid like Tyrese Maxey is 
you know, sometimes he and Hagen's will switch on ball duty responsibilities. And he's graded out really, really well as a freshman, like 0.717 points per allowed. Um, like, this is nuts. Like, Drew Smith is at 306 possessions used defensively, 0.729 uh, points per possession allowed. Uh, guess who's in front of him in terms of efficiency? Good old Anthony Edwards of Georgia, who gets, you know, if you have scouts, they'll tell you, like, Anthony Edwards sometimes takes plays off. Sometimes he's not good in transition. So it's it's one of those deals where I think, to get back to our original point, like, when you watch guys on film, it's like, what premium do you place where? And, you know, how do you, you know, grade out a good overall defender? And so I think a lot of times we default to steals or blocks or things like that because those are pretty quantifiable and, you know, those can change the dimension of a game. It, it usually results in a lost possession for the opponent. It triggers transition opportunities, things like that. So uh, I always have fun trying to consider DPOY just because it's like what relative value do you place on something and how do you sort of equate what you think should be valued uh, by teams? Yeah. I also think that's, that's one of those areas where, uh, you know, a, a opposing coaches actually their input can be valuable because they're the ones that are uh scouting. scouting and 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 then having to play against those guys and so sometimes somebody may not and i think this is sort of the case with like somebody like Adu who maybe doesn't get a lot of you know credit but um he's so good at getting to the ball around the rim uh he's so good at affecting shots and and you know, sort of causing um, guys attacking the rim to sort of alter their shot and stuff like that. He, and because of his ability to sort of do those things, I think it it's something that's sort of easy to overlook, um, you know. And it's it's sort of tough to, to quantify um, if he's not getting a block shot, but he's causing a miss, um, you know, or if he's being st- stout on the defensive block and and forcing a you know a kick out or um, you know forcing a turnover or you know things like that I think is uh, you know it, it's it's difficult you sort of, sort of have to to watch a lot of the SEC and admittedly um, because the league was so bad this year I did not watch a ton of the SEC in uh, my off nights I was watching uh our fair grizz instead um a lot of nights because it's more fun to watch yeah well the the last point is like it's getting better because now we have things like hoop lens where you can do on off kind of data and you can sort of see oh like in the case of like jeremiah tillman missouri's like defensive rating is 14 points better per 100 possessions when he's on the floor than when he's not and this is what its rebound rate is and this is what its effective field goal percentage you know, here's how it goes up or down. So you can kind of see what a guy brings to the floor. And if you put that with synergy data, you can kind of say, all right, you know, at least, you know, in aggregate and raw numbers, this guy is making a difference. And then if you go back and you watch film, you can sort of say, okay, here's how he's making a difference. But it's always, I always think it's just fascinating when we try and, you know, bestow an award to something and to players who, you know, we don't have as many defensive stats as we do in offense. So it, it becomes much more subjective than, you know, what I think it typically happens when we have guys, you know, on the offensive end of the floor. 
Yeah, so um, I think we're at our limit because we spent 15 minutes talking about the draft history of the Vancouver Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies. We don't we don't mention that that time in the wilderness <laughs> of, of British Columbia. I will say, like I always thought, it was weird that they kept the Grizzlies name. Like the Memphis Grizzlies just always seemed like a weird name to me. There's not a lot yeah. of grizzly bears roaming I mean, the streets like, of Memphis. I mean, New Orleans got it right when they went to the Pelicans because they got rid of the Hornets, so they went to like something regional. Like, I still think the Jazz should like bequeath their name to Memphis because the Memphis Jazz still makes sense. And you know, I'm sure Utah can figure something out. I mean, there's mountains. There's like, there's all manner of like wild things that would like. Are intimidating out there. I can't figure out why they've kept jazz. The Mormon Church. I mean, just become the Utah Tabernacles, I guess. <laughs> it's it's vaguely musical themed, you know. I yeah, know. I I like it. It 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 fits. You know, something with uh with salt maybe. Um. Wow. Well. Oh, I I'm running on fumes. We should get out of here. Our the listeners are already tired of us. I mean, every, everybody already tuned out. I think we lost everybody at like twelve minutes in when we we started going in on like the what was it the nineteen ninety six draft. Like we we're out of here. Getting... We want to hear about Missouri. I'm like yeah, Missouri's they'll be fine. They'll be fine. This is a Memphis Grizzlies blog now. Well, the blog is still a Missouri blog, but we are uh, we are we are threatening. Uh, to to relocate to the what's the Grizzlies blog? I just know it's like SBN Grizzlies, but it's like Grizzly Bear Blues or something like that. That's 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 not good. First order of business. I uh, gotta gotta change the uh, name of the blog. Gotta change it. Gotta gotta change the name of it. I'm pulling it up now. Let's see who. Yeah, Grizzly Bear Blues. Yeah. I mean that's not optimistic. I mean. Surely. I mean, I think it's because they like they wear blue. Well, that's Beale Street Blue, is the name of their, uh, is the name of the shade they wear. So I think they should just. Well, and and they're they're more. I mean, Memphis is more of a blues town than it is a jazz town. Yeah, change to that. The Memphis Blues. Well, then they'd have to relocate to St. Louis. Too many, too many names to hear. Too many names. That's why the St. Louis. I mean, the St. Louis Blue Notes. Just, just with our change, our, just our famed Memphis. history of uh, of blues musicians. Well, then just take the Memphis Hustle. Just make the Hustle's name its full name. It's the NBA name. I like Hustle way better than Grizzlies. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I'd be fine if they were the Blues, but I I, I still think there's something. Something else other than Grizzlies. Well, anyway, um, are we gonna do this again next week? Got to wrap the season. Um, Got to wrap it up. You know, when Missouri makes its improbable run to an automatic bid. Well, yeah, we, we need to wrap up the SEC tournament uh, as we prepare for the NCAA tournament. Um, as Missouri goes on their improbable run to win the SEC tournament 
and make the NCAA tournament for the second time in Konzo's three years, uh, it can happen. It can happen. Just believe it to be true. If if you want to talk about depth, Konzo Martin is certainly not afraid uh, to play uh, up to 11 guys and still plays Drew Smith 38 minutes a night. Drew's legs are going to fall off. <laughs> He's like the one guy Konza knows like what he, what he's gonna get when he hits the floor. It's like, all right, you're gonna be out there. Everybody else will figure out. Uh, so yeah, so we'll be back next week. We'll be uh, reviewing the SEC tournament, previewing anything else that might be uh, in the works. Um, and until then, I guess go follow him on Twitter, uh, tell him why all his ideas are bad. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and uh, we can talk about the Grizz. Um, Anyway, until next week, uh, thanks for tuning in.